everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Rob Murgatroyd Show. Each week, I have conversations with some of the most fascinating people on the planet that can help you live a life of fulfillment. Speaking of fulfillment, if you want to hire me as your coach, head over to robshowcoach.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if we are a good fit to help you create and design your dream life and business. That's robshowcoach.com. Before we get into today's episode, our next Work Hard, Play Hard Mastermind event will be in Dubai and Abu Dhabi for the F1 race on November 16th to the 19th. So look, these trips are designed to get you out of your day-to-day, around some amazing entrepreneurs and provide bucket list experiences that will have you coming home re-energized to grow your business and bring your life to a whole new level. Head over to workhardplayhardexperience.com and fill out an application. All right, let's jump into today's show. Spearfishing is a beautiful sport. Things can go from really right to really wrong in a space of a second. So of course, if I'm in the water and I don't see the boat around, then, I'm, I, then I, can became, I can become a little bit panicky. That's also probably due to the fact that I was left in the middle of the ocean in Mexico. So I call slight PTSD. <laughs> of course, when I started, it was all about chasing the big fish and chasing crazy destinations and doing this and doing that. And now it, it, it changed completely. Now it's more about, I want to go out with my friends. I want to catch enough to have food for the next couple of weeks. And I want to catch the tastiest fish and then that's it. There is a vast majority of people who breed wrong in everyday life. Valentine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am super excited to have you here. You are from Montreal. I can hear a little bit of that Montreal coming out. Uh, It's one of my favorite uh, places to visit. I had a friend who went to McGill uh, and he turned me on to uh, the city and I fell in love with it. And um, I I remember going to, uh, it's a little bit outside of Montreal, but I remember going to the Chateau Frontenac. Yes, that's a beautiful hotel. Oh, Oh, as they say here in Italy, mamma mia. I had such a great time there. I went for the Banam uh, Festival. Did I say that right? It's a, it's oh, like the, the, the winter carnival. The winter carnival, yeah. And yes. so I remember um, everybody had caribou wine that was put into these little plastic snowman canes <laughs> that we walked around and we took a hit of wine to stay warm as we looked at these magnificent castles that were there. So I loved it. Sounds very cold to me. It is, <laughs> I escaped well, the cold a long time ago. I, I, I see that. And we're going to get into all of that. Okay. So I think a good place to begin is actually in Montreal uh, in the 90s. Can you sort of describe for me what the pressures you were under conforming to what your parents wanted for your life? It's, I've actually never really felt the pressure. It was more like a, it, it was a personal desire of wanted to accomplishing a lot. And, you know, I've, I'll, I've always been really ambitious. So my mom uh, was a corporate lawyer. So this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to, to be a lawyer since I was like six, seven. And you wanted to be a lawyer since you were six or seven, but was there a pressure from your parents to do it or, or you just wanted to do it because your, your mom was a lawyer? I just want to do it because I, I I admired my mom a lot. And then that's just, I thought this would be a great path for me as a, as a strong woman. (laughs) Yeah, right. For sure. No, I get it. Um, Okay. So I want to move forward just a little bit. You, around 14, there was uh, an accident that you had when you were visiting uh, France where the undertow uh, took you out and there was a lifeguard involved and there was a helicopter involved. And that trauma wound up creating panic attacks for you. Can you sort of like walk me through the process of how you were able to get yourself to eliminate those panic attacks? So firstly, I, I, I think it's important to say that I've, I've, I had anxiety my entire life. I was even as a kid, I was scared of 
everything. I was scared of my own shadow. It's, I think until I was like 12 years old, my parents couldn't even leave me alone at the house because I was just freaking out by a lot of different unrealistic scenarios in my head. And so it was, it always, it always been in me. I was scared of everything. And I remember my dad was trying to take me snorkeling and then I was just freaking out the whole time, just not being comfortable. Um, so after that, when I was 14, when an accident happened in the side of France, which when I passed out um, after being cut by an undertow when I was swimming, um, it was my fear of the waters became way, way worse. So I really refused to really swim in water that was deep and things like that. So no, I could like dip at the beach, you know, and I swim a little bit around and come back. But it was not it was not a place of comfort for me, not even a little bit. So. Speaking of comfort, you've said that, you know, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations has now ultimately, ironically, became a source of comfort. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. So basically my 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 anxiety peaked when I was about 18 and I started having panic attacks that were beyond any type of control. So this is kind of when I decided that I needed to really take control on my anxiety and so what I started doing is I started getting out of my house and go a little bit further every single day and really worked on, on being out of my comfort zone and try to push myself a bit. And I did not forget at a time, but it's the best decision of my life by far. Because that whole process really taught me that by pushing myself, I can really do things that I didn't think were possible. Don't you make that jump from being panic-stricken to stepping into, I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead because we're going to get there as we go through this, but take me back to that moment where you were like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not living like this anymore. I'm not going to be afraid of it. I am going to get, we'll use the water as an example. I'm going to get, get over the fear of this. How did you get yourself to take that first step into uncomfortable situations and not be frozen with panic? I mean, at, at this point, it, it was overtaking my life so much. I was a young adult, couldn't go to movies, couldn't go to the bar, couldn't go anywhere with my friends, and it was it was it was crippling. So this is when I kind of realized that this is if I don't do something about it, this is going to be ruling my entire life. And it's it's so that's kind of when I decided that I, I really need to to take concrete actions to to try to change that. Do you feel panic now in any of those situations that you once felt panic in? Gone. I mean, no, I, I said that with a, with a caveat because, of course, when uh, it's spivishing is a beautiful sport, things can go from really right to really wrong in a space of a second. So, of course, if I'm in the water and I don't see the boat around, then I'm, I, then I can become I can become a little bit panicky. That's also probably due to the fact that I was left in the middle of the ocean in Mexico. So I call slight PTSD. <laughs> yeah, sound, sounds like it. Okay. And, you know, we all have these moments in our life where a moment happens and, and things change. And for you, that moment was when a gentleman named Eduardo entered your life. Who is Eduardo and why did that meeting change your life? Um, I met Eduardo on, on a plane. He was uh, sitting next to me and he was carrying a pair of free diving fins. And I was, I remember turning around and be like, what's that? And he explained to me that this was free diving fins. And he started explaining to me what was free diving or spearfishing. And I remember in my head just being like, Ooh, doesn't sound like fun at all. <laughs> this sounds very, very scary. And he, we exchanged contacts and then he said, oh, you know what? Let's like, let's meet when, we both come back to London. It was actually a flight for Ibiza. And, um, and he said, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you all about it. So I said, yeah, sure, no problem. And then I met him back in London. And then he introduced me to, you know, a bunch of his friends who were all into spearfishing. And some of them were going to do a free dive class in Egypt. And he pushed me really hard to go and do that class, which I did. And... You know, it was it was all right. I liked it. It was something really different. And I was, you know, I didn't feel too panicky. I was kind of fine in the water. It was very frame, I say. He had a lot of instructors in the waters. We were very safe. And then when I came back, that's when he told me, well, we're going on a big spearfishing trip and two or three months. And I think you should come. 
And this is when I realized, I said, okay, this is, this is going to be something really different because I need to train for the trip. I need to explain me a bunch of different things such as, so you're going to be dropped in the middle of the ocean. It's going to be like hundred feet deep. And then you're going to have to like do drops and come back and have a spear gun and try to shoot something. You drift them. Like you're drifting far away from the ocean. The boat is following you. It was like, oh, fuck no. That sounds so awful. There's no way I want to do that. Then I, I, I've, I don't know how, but probably my, my FOMO just kicked in so badly. And then I decided to go anyway. And I ended up really liking it. I was very not, I was not comfortable at all in the water, but the feeling of catching a fish and cooking it after, oh my God, that was, that changed my life completely. Completely. So uh, you had like, if I was on that plane in Ibiza and this guy had the spearfishing thing, I would have personally no interest. I'd be like, fuck no, that sounds crazy to me. But you didn't have that reaction. You had a, oh, this is interesting. And maybe, maybe I will follow up with this and I will look into it. Looking back now at that meeting, what do you think was it that made you interested in that? Because it could have been nine other people sitting next to you with somebody, you know, playing with a bagpipe. <laughs> and you're like, I don't want to play bagpipes. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that one, that thing piqued your curiosity. Looking back now, why do you think? Um, my life revolves around food. That's my that's my passion <laughs> by far. So because it involves coming back home with food, I was like, hmm, that could be interesting. <laughs> you know, you could just go to the grocery store though, right? You don't have to actually go get a spear. But I so I'm assuming that it was the challenge, it was different, it was interesting, you know, warm water versus where you grew up in Canada. I'm sure there was a lot of other things that were were in there. So I want to ask you a couple of spear fishing questions. Forgive the rookie questions. I have no idea about spear fishing at all. When you go spear fishing, how far down do you go in the water to begin? Um, well, it, it, it depends on, on the spots. It depends on what you were hunting for. It depends on a lot of things. Um, with my friends here, normally we tend to stay between 65 and 90 feet, something like that. Okay. And is there any sort of like, is there, is there oxygen tanks that you're doing? Is it a free dive? No. There's no oxygen tank. So you're going no, down. Okay. So I told you it was a rookie question. Sorry. I, I, I prefer <laughs> not to do research on this because I want to ask questions that the audience would ask. So you have no oxygen. How the hell do you get down 90 feet without any oxygen and come back up? I'm having a panic attack just talking about that. How do you do that? <laughs> so basically you are holding your breath and it's, it's, it sounds like it's something that's hard to do, but it's actually very easy to do. And I think it's just really about getting yourself comfortable because it's it's very mental, right? The reason it's mental is because when you're holding your breath, you're not exhaling CO2, which means that CO2 is accumulating inside of your body. And this science, this sends a signal to your brain that you need to breathe. But the problem is that even if you have an accumulation of CO2, that does not mean that your level of oxygen is to the point that you actually need to breathe. So it's, it's, it's a mental battle with your own brain. How does one tell their brain not to breathe? By staying calm. <laughs> okay. So when you're down 90 feet yeah. and you're like, oh shit, I got to breathe. How the hell do you go down from 90 feet to the top of the water to get a breath if you need a breath? Well, you basically, you have to calm down and you just have to slowly fin your way back to the surface. But there's no risk of passing out? So the, the biggest risk in spearfishing is what you call a shallow water blackout. Shallow water blackout is basically you coming back to the surface. And the big difference between free diving and scuba diving is that your lungs are actually shrinking as you go down, right? Because there's no liquid in it, which means that there's just room for compression. 
So you're going down at 90 feet, your, your lungs are tiny, tiny, right? So when you're coming back up, then your lungs are expanding back and then it go back to normal size. Difference with scuba diving is that when you're scuba diving, because you're breathing, your lungs stay the same thing, which is why you need to stop when you go back because you don't want your lungs to explode. Free diving, you don't have this problem. You can go up and down as much as you want because your lungs are adapting to the water pressure. I understand. So, and basically when you're, your lungs are small and you're coming back to the surface, when your lungs go back to their normal size, your percentage of oxygen gets down really quickly. So this is why it's, it, get, it can get dangerous to pass out when you're at the surface in the last 10 meters, 30 feet. You can do meters. So this, I'm, in, I'm in Europe now, so I'm, I'm getting used to it. Hey, it's Rob. I want to jump in and take a quick second to say you got to get a coach. It just makes a difference. A coach can offer you perspective and accelerate your goals so much faster. If you want to work with me, head over to robshowcoach.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call. All right, let's get back to the show. So what's the furthest you've ever gone down? Uh, 170 feet. One seven zero. Yes. Okay. So for reference, am I assuming that that's like a 18, 19 story building? I could not answer that question. I think, I think every, <laughs> you, you, I, I wish I had Joe Rogan's Google guy here right now, but I think that every story floor is 10 feet. So that's almost, that's, that's, that's insane. Have you ever had a panic attack while you were down there? Um, it did happen that I get a little panicky. Actually, I, I did have a blackout once. Okay. Tell me about that. Um, what happened? I was in the Bahamas and then the water was really clear. I saw a big fish that was down maybe like 85 feet. Then I took a drop without bringing up properly. And I remember I shot, I shot the fish, missed it. It was... It was a, a, what do you call it? Pole spear. So it was like, I just had a real little pole spear, chased the fish again. And then I was like, I've been in the water for a really long time and I'm really deep here. And I started getting a little panicky. The thing is when you panic is that the, the air kind of came out of, comes out of your body pretty quickly too. So it's, it's, and I just remember finning, finning, finning. And I just, I just, I, I knew it was going to pass out. And it was really about, I was just, freaking praying. I was like, I hope my body's watching me. I hope he's watching me because this is why it's so important to, to, to always be two when you dive. And it's easy to find a dive partner who's busy in a fish that way. And then another one that goes that way. It's, you really have to watch each other because a situation like that, when you're distracted by a fish or anything, I knew it was going to black out. And I knew that if the guy, the surface one is watching me, then the, my chances of dying was really freaking high. So it was, it was, you rely on the person you're with so much, like your life depends on it. And it's, it's that's why it's so important. A lot of spearfishing accidents, sadly, they, they, they're very experienced divers. They're very experienced divers because they, they disregard very simple safety uh, tricks. And I've, I've, I've done it. I've done it several times. What's like the that time, breathe up properly before you go down. It's, it's, it's a no brainer. Breathe up properly. doesn't matter if you have the biggest fish ever. Breathe up properly. Otherwise, your life is in danger. And I almost died because of it. Say that sentence again. Breathe what? Properly breathe up? Breathe up. So basically, a breathe up is when you're laying down at the surface and you're breathing to slow down your heart rate. So you, you, you're basically making sure that your entire body slows down, which means that you're using less oxygen. Okay. How many... What's the longest amount of time that you were down under the water? Um, well, my hole, this bread hole was 545, but this was, I was just laying down at the surface. So I was kind of floating face down type of stuff. But not breathing for over, for, but almost, not breathing. Yeah. For, for almost six minutes. Yeah. Okay. God, there's so many questions. I don't even know where to begin. When you're, <laughs> when you're going, when you're going down there, you've got, you've got the spear gun in your hands and you're slowly descending down to a certain level and then you're looking because here's the thing when i'm thinking about like I, I i keep having a scuba diver in my minds that you're like going down and you're you know you're looking for i don't know lobster what you know I, a scuba diver might get lobster you probably wouldn't but 
I'm having to wrap my brain around you going down, having no air for minutes at a time, having a spear in your hand, and now starting to look for fish to hunt. Right? Do, do I have yes. this right? Is that what's essentially yes. happening? <laughs> yes. Like, I wouldn't want to do it with an oxygen tank. I can't imagine the pressure of not being able to breathe down there. Um, okay, but you didn't start off doing five minute breath holds. You started off doing um, what, what? What? What was it? Twenty seconds, thirty seconds in the very, very beginning. Yeah, probably like forty five seconds a minute, something like that. Okay, so we're going to get into. Uh, I know that you've got a, a program on this, so we're going to we're going to move into that in uh, in a few minutes. So for people that are listening, that are like, I'd love to expand um, on this. I um I got uh Wim Hof's um breath program and I started, you know, messing around with it. And uh, you know, a 50 or 60 second breath hold for me, I started like, you know, seeing like spots. W- what is that? Like why for just a minute am I like feeling like I'm going to pass out, but yet you're you're able to get yourself to go almost 6 minutes. So firstly, uh, Wim Hof uh, does hyperventilation, which is very different. Uh, bread holding with hyperventilation is super dangerous in the water. So it's definitely not something that you want to do in the water. If you're doing it on your couch, there's no really danger because if you pass out, well, you're going to be on your couch. Um, although the problem with... So you remember what I said earlier about, about the CO2, CO2, right? Yeah. So basically, when you, 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 you're hyperventilating before holding your breath, what it does is that you're getting rid of that CO2. So that urge to breathe is coming slower than if if you haven't done that. The problem is, is the oxygens that are stuck with your uh, hemoglobins, they need that CO2 to get released into muscle tissues. So that means that basically, even though you don't have this urge to breathe, your level of oxygen goes down way quicker. And this is why this becomes dangerous. So it's, it's, the best technique to actually really learn how to hold your breath properly is to be as calm as possible. So you actually want to do the complete opposite. So you do not want to hyperventilate. You want to extend your exhale, slow down the heartbeat, slow down the entire body. So this is the, the proper way to do that. What's the longest amount of time that anybody has been able to hold their breath for doing something like this? Oh, it's it's insane. It's something like 26 minutes. It's something crazy. What are your goals? Like, <laughs> like where, where do you want to go from here? Like, I don't mean goals in general. I mean goals specific to spearfishing. Like, is it I'm trying to put myself in the in the body of a spearfisher because we always want to, as a human being, we always want to, you know, go to the next level, right? What's like the next level for you look like? Uh spearfishing related? Yeah, spearfishing. <laughs> yeah. It's I've 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 actually my goal actually got became smaller in terms of spearfishing. So of course when I started it was all about chasing the big fish and chasing crazy destinations and doing this and doing that. And now it it, it changed completely. Now it's more about I want to go out with my friends. I want to catch enough to have food for the next couple of weeks, and I want to catch the tastiest fish, and then that's it. So it's kind of odd to say, but like because it's. Even if it, if it is part of my job, it's part of who I am and what I'm doing. When I do practice spearfishing, it's because I want to feed myself. And I really want, I really learn how to take the ego out of the equation and making it about trophy fish and bigger fish and things like that. And it's, of course, as a girl, it's, it's harder to make, to be credible on this sport because, you know, of course, it's kind of all about, you know, how I want to show people that, you know, I'm good at this and that I can catch big fish and things like that. But it's, at the end of the day, it's I'm not going to go chase big fish because I want to impress people. It's I do spearfishing because I enjoy it because it makes me fucking happy on a so daily for, basis. Yeah. So for you, it's something that you enjoy doing. You get the benefit of eating great fish. You're in the water. You're in the sun. How often do you do it? How many times a week? <sighs> not near enough what I want to right now. I haven't been in, in a little while, actually, right now. Uh, I'm going this weekend. You know, it's really cold. Um, yeah. And you're in Florida, so right? Yes, I'm in Florida right now. Um, then during the winter, it's a bit tough in Florida because it's super windy. So yeah. it's kind of a bit hard. So um, 
that's kind of why I picked up hunting recently. It's kind of to fill up that winter gap. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Well, you don't have to hold you don't have to hold your breath there. I want to talk a little bit about training and your workout. You are now getting into MMA fighting. Is that right? Yes. I just okay. started. <laughs> okay. Is it something that is just recreational for you where you're just having a good time? Or do you have aspirations to take this thing further? So it's it's I really like it. I've I've been really loving it. And it's it's my I, I said on, on, on the Rogan podcast last week that I wanted to compete in jiu-jitsu. So now I'm like, I said, I have to do it. Yeah. Um, it's, I like, I, I like being committed to something. I like working hard on something. So, and it's, it's, I just like that jiu-jitsu is very, there's a very strong mental aspect to it. So I really like that. So it's, I travel a lot. So, you know, to get consistent training is very hard, even though there's schools everywhere. So it's just about the commitment and trying to make time to it. To make it happen, yeah, for sure. That you, you mentioned the uh, the Joe Rogan podcast. What a what an incredible gift for you to be on, arguably the number one podcast in this the the stratosphere, right? I mean, this that like came it seems like he came out of nowhere, but he didn't, and he's been you know doing this for a long time now. What was that experience like for you uh, doing that? It was it was really nice. I'm 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 very blessed to have been invited twice. Um, it's it's I always like the conversation. Funny enough, the first time I went on a podcast, I didn't know who he was. Oh, is that right? My friend was like, "Why are you doing Joe Rogan? This is awesome." I'm like, "Oh, is it?" You're like, "Who and is he?" I was like, I, "I didn't know." I mean, I didn't watch UFC. I didn't watch Fear Factor. I didn't watch any. I don't watch TV. Period. So it's, and then it was. It was just funny. I was not nervous at all. And then this this time around last week, I was shaking the entire podcast. It just it was so weird. It was... Well, you know, it's interesting because he's become um, he's become so big that his words are now scrutinized so much. And you know, if he's if he's talking about COVID and people don't want to hear it, then you have like. Neil Young, like saying, okay, now I'm pulling my my music off of Spotify because I don't like what Joe Rogan said. I mean, like it's some crazy shit. And his ability, I think, to maintain his humanness and be real with whomever he's speaking to is just a gift. I mean, like I, like, I think that's why he's as, he's as successful as he is. So yeah, that's super cool that you were on it. Just quickly before you move on, actually very funny enough, uh, since I was on a podcast, my social media has been shadow banned. So a lot of people Come disappeared on. for a lot of people, accounts and people can't find me when they look at me on Instagram. So it's it's very disappointed to see that we didn't even talk about COVID. It's, we talked about something completely different and it's, I just really sad to see that that because I I I I I know him I know Joanne and I know that his intellect is, is very has a very curious mind. So the fact that they're trying to censor him and then now you know they're trying to hide my account at the same time is just I don't so, know it's a bit it's weird. So <laughs> fucked up. I mean, yeah. God, it's not even like. I mean, you know, look, we can go down this rabbit hole, but you know, he just as asking questions. It's like, if you have an interest in, hey, look, this doesn't make sense to me. Like cloth masks are not working, right? And he's got a panel of doctors who graduated Harvard and Yale. And they're like, no, it doesn't work. And people are going nuts. They're going misinformation. He's asking the professional. He's not saying it doesn't work. He's asking somebody. It's just, the whole thing has gotten crazy. But I think, I tell you what he is doing though. He's he is making people think yes. and question. And that is good enough by me. I love that. Okay. Tell me about your breath work program, because I think people listening now, me included, I am getting older, 55 now. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm halfway through this game and I want to do everything that I can do. I have a seven-year-old daughter and I... I want to do everything that I can do to keep myself in great shape. And I'll tell you something. I wasn't diagnosed officially. I did the test with COVID 
I felt like shit two weeks ago. I couldn't get out of bed. And I had uh, my antibodies checked. My antibodies were through the like crazy numbers. So the doc looked at it and said, for sure, you know, even, even with vaccination with these numbers, you probably had COVID. And going through that time, I never, ever thought about my lungs in my life. Like never. I just breathed, you know? But when I went through that and I was coughing and having difficulty breathing, I realized if I was somebody who had comorbidities, you know, if I had diabetes or I was obese or, or God forbid, whatever, I don't know how somebody would have survived it because I was like dying, like really, really bad for four or five days. And, and it made me think I want to do more for my wins, my aerobic capacity. I need to improve it. I'm not happy with my level of fitness um, in that regard. So tell me about your breathwork program sort of relative to what I just said with my experience. So basically, I I think it's very important here to mention that there is a vast majority of people who breathe wrong on everyday life at rest. So of course, that also translates to to physical exercise. And somebody like me, my example, I'm I'm, I'm not fit when it comes to cardio. I hate doing cardio, so I don't do it, which is terrible. Um, But so basically, a lot of people breathe through their mouth and using their chest, right? Which is a, a, a... bad way to to breathe because basically most of your lungs are, are below your chest. So you're not using maximum capacity of, of oxygen. And then it's when I exercise, by, by example, it's when I run on a treadmill, like something super simple. What I tried to do now is I couldn't even, I could barely do 10 minutes before. And then I, I started switching and then breathing through my nose when I was running until I can't anymore. And when you can't anymore, what you still want to do is you want to inhale through your nose and exhale through your mouth. And just by doing that, my run passes from five minutes to 30 minutes. And that became really easy just because I finally had a way more efficient way of, of, uh, of, of breathing when I was doing it. And then it's, it's, you really realize that that nose breathing while you're exercising is another level of fitness, like completely other level of fitness. It's really, it's not easy. I, like I played a little game once. Somebody, some uh, trainer had recommended that I just close my mouth while I was running. Holy shit! Like I, like I, um, I looked at my uh, my heart rate monitor, my whoop, e- like everything. I I did half of what I could normally run with my mouth closed. Like it's unbelievable. So your program then will walk them through. Give me a little bit more information about the program. Like how does how does it work? Is it like module? Is it video? Is it an app? So it's a, it's a web app. So it, it's called Superhumans and there's different segments, there's different courses. So we have Super Calm for breathing for stress and anxiety and panic attacks and stuff like that. Uh, we have um, Supermind, which is how to breathe to stay focused. And uh, let's say before you enter a big meeting or, you know, or a ring or whatever you, you're about to do. So it's kind of like Navy SEALs type breathing. Uh, we also have a super hole, which is a training on how to hold your breath properly, what to do before, what you do during, what you do after. So it's really walking through. So there's theory videos, there's exercises, there's different challenges. Um, we have super sleep, which is also awesome. We develop a breathing method that lasts 10 minutes, which is making you fall asleep. And it's really, really awesome. So uh, my business partner has insomnia for a very long time and that, that he can fall asleep with it like pretty much every single time. So it's, it's pretty good. And it's really kind of a very complete platform of um, how to breathe for different occasions. And we started during COVID, we were living in a caravan in the middle of nowhere. And he, we started giving free better classes on Zoom for people to help with anxiety. So we did that for a few months and the class were always fully booked and people were coming back and things like that. So that's when we decided to build this platform so everybody could have access to it and a really wild range of uh, exercises for different topics. Got it. So it's kind of contextual. If you need it for this, then you do that program. You want to do that, you do this program. So it's not like you have to go through modules one through 20 uh, to get an education. You just sort of pick and choose what it is that you need, right? Yes. It's, okay. it's subscription-based. So you can basically, if you get access to the platform, you get access to everything. Ah. We also do have a part at Superboost that's you know about that hyperventilation, Wim Hof type of stuff, which is a little bit lower. Like Wim Hof is a little bit too intense for me. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it was like a little bit, we do have different type of style too, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's great. It, it wasn't for me. Wasn't for me. But I don't know if you know this. There's a there's a new movie out. Um, I, I forgot the celebrity, but they're doing the Iceman movie. And it's some no really- No way. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's not like Brad Pitt, but it's like somebody like Brad Pitt that's playing him. Like some, I think this is an English actor. I just saw, I was like, holy shit, this guy's got big. I feel like it should be like Jason Samoa or something. <laughs> somebody, you Google it. I, I, somebody will send me an email. Okay, I wanna jump in for 15 seconds and say, if you're an entrepreneur grinding away and not taking time to experience extraordinary things around the world with other entrepreneurs, you may wanna join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard Mastermind to Dubai on November 19th. Head over to workhardplayhardexperience.com and fill out an application. Okay, as we wrap up, I'm gonna ask you some questions that are gonna feel like, why is he asking me these questions? Just roll with me. What do people often get wrong about you? Uh, people often think that I'm a bimbo who can't do anything. Really? Yeah. I would absolutely <laughs> not think you're a bimbo, not for one second. Um, what is one thing that you have not gotten to in your life? And if you don't get to this, you're gonna have a lot of regret. Settling down. Did you say settling down? Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> what is one rule that you have for yourself that you're never going to break? Always be true and authentic to who I am and always treat people well. What new behavior in your life has most improved your life? What, can you repeat a question? Sorry. Yep. What new behavior or habit has most improved your life? Like I just started doing this thing and I got to tell you, like, you know, I just started transcendental meditation. I just started, I have this new habit, this new thing, this new behavior, and it really has changed my life. I wish I could answer waking up early, but that's never going to happen. So, uh, <laughs> what, what time do you get up? Nine. <laughs> Not you're nine o'clock, but what time you go to bed? Like midnight one. Yeah, I get it. I'm a night I, owl. I, I like working at night. And that's when I, I'm the most efficient. That, you know, you're either the most efficient in the morning or night, one or the other. Like you don't, yeah. nobody's in the, nobody's in the afternoon. I'm a morning guy at night. I'm useless. Like I, I, I can't do anything. Um, <laughs> I think I had to marry the opposite. So it works with the kids or something. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> what is an unusual or absurd thing that you love? I mean, people, I mean, aside from spearfishing, what is an unusual or absurd thing? Somebody be like, you like that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I like eating at the restaurant by myself. That is unusual. In, <laughs> in 400 podcasts, I've asked that question 400 times. I've never heard that answer. Wow. What is it about? Are you generally... Are you a loner type person? I like, I like my, so I think that makes me an introvert, I think. Uh-huh. So I, I do like, I relax when I'm by myself. So I just, I love going to the restaurant, bringing a book or a glass of wine, a good meal and just having a good time. And just relaxing and just eating alone. Yeah. yeah that's it. I mean, that's classic introvert for sure. The, the, <laughs> uh, the extrovert would do the opposite. The extrovert would, if they had a stressful day, the extrovert would go to the bar at the restaurant and would try and have a conversation with the person next to him. And that would give them energy. I'm like you, where I feel like I'd be drooling in the corner. Like if I did that, I need, I, 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 I get what you're saying. That's interesting. Um, if you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Ooh, um, I'll spend anywhere that's warm, fishy, and it would be a beautiful beach. I'm not picky. <laughs> warm and fishy. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> are there any positions or opinions in the last few years, or it could be way back if you want, um, that you've changed your mind substantially about where you're like, you know, I used to think this. I don't think that way anymore. I now think this. I, I used to think that I had to be liked by everybody around me. 
Mm. That it was very important for me that everybody around me understood me and who I was and what I think and my values and things like that. And the more growing up, of course, now I realized that you can be the sweetest and most orange peach in the world. Nobody likes freaking peaches. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. How old are you? 34. When you hit um, your 50s, it is the most freeing thing in the world because you don't give a fuck. <laughs> you just, oh. you just, it does. <laughs> not only do you not give a fuck, you're, you're proud of the fact that you don't give a fuck. Do you know what I mean? That's so great. It's, it is freeing. I it just, <laughs> it, this is, trust me, it is one of these things that just comes with age. You ever see like the 90 year old lady that just is like saying the most inappropriate things and just doesn't care? You know, you're Betty White, right? You just, you're just doing whatever you want to do. Um, <laughs> with every level of success comes a new devil. What are you currently struggling with? Um, I am struggling with wondering if the spotlight is really something that makes me happy in life. It's not, I've never seek being under the spotlight. And the more I get successful in what I do, the more I'm getting it. Sometimes it's make me uncomfortable. So it's I'm wondering if should I keep going during doing this thing? And I I like the fact that I can help younger girls who's been through the same thing as me, who's been bullied, who struggle with anxiety or self-esteem issues growing up. And I want to do I want to help people so much, but I don't like attention. So it's a very weird battle between Yeah, I get that. that. I, I I totally get that. I mean, you know, if you think about the person that's listening right now who is having a panic attack and they're hearing something that you said that's giving them hope. That's saying, not only can I not get rid of these panic attacks, not only can I not get over the trauma that I had you know, in the ocean, but I can actually figure out how to be somebody that can hold my breath for five minutes and wind up on the Joe Rogan show. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? Like some somebody somewhere is getting it. So I think focusing on that um, has value. Who has had the greatest impact on your life? My mom. If you could narrow it down to one thing that has the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> I bet. What is the piece of advice that you find yourself sharing the most? Do you do what the fuck makes you happy? It's a great book. Uh, have you ever read the book? Do you? No. <laughs> great book. It's a great book. Really because good. Because I, I like to say that to people because when I decided to quit everything to spearfish, there's not a single person around me that was like, that's such a yawn. great idea. Everybody that's was great. Like, what are you, like, are you mental? <laughs> <laughs> You're quitting everything to do what? You have seven years of university to do what? To spearfish? Uh -huh. What? What, what it the was? fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, do, you, uh, do you collect anything or have you ever collected anything? Gear, spearfishing gear. I'm a disaster. I have so much of it. You got a lot. Um, <laughs> you, listen, I mean, women have a lot of shoes, right? So that that's sort of interesting. I also um, have a lot of shoes. <laughs> you have both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't touch my shoes or I'll spear fish. <laughs> um, this one's going to be a, a, a brain twister. So, so uh, see if it makes sense to you. What do people never ask you? But you wish they did. They never ask me this. They ask me about spearfishing. They ask me about Joe Rogan. They ask me about law school, but they never ask me about this. I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay. I guess people really ask about what people fears are. I guess people don't really talk about that. Like what, what makes you scared in life? What makes you insecure? Like all that type of stuff. I think so they, it's the type of thing that people should talk more about too. So they talk about, they're, they're looking for your guidance on what they can do around it, but they're not actually discussing what it is. Yeah, exactly. It. Or yeah. it's, you know, it's, I think that it's, it's especially on, on, on a podcast, you know, it's, 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 it's very good to 
talk about people's achievements and things like that and what, what took you there and advice they have for you. But it's, I think it's also important to, to note that everybody has fears, everybody has anxiety, no matter who you are in, in the world. Then it's, you can be sitting on top of the world. Something's going to keep you awake at night like everybody else. For sure. I mean, I've shared on this podcast before. We haven't talked about it, uh, you and I, but um, I've never had anxiety, never had uh, fear, no panic. Not, I've had fear, but I've never had panic attacks. COVID came and I don't know what the hell happened. In the middle of the night, about a year ago, I woke up feeling like I was having a heart attack. And um, I walked upstairs. I looked outside my, my backyard. It looked like the trees were closing in on me. I couldn't breathe. I was convinced I was having a heart attack. And I, I was up most of the night. And then I was like, oh shit, I don't know what the fuck happens. Next day, three o'clock in the morning happened again. It happened every day for like a week. Finally went to a doc and he said, you're having panic attacks. Um, and what ultimately we realized was I felt like I couldn't get out. And he said, um, he said, are you claustrophobic? I said, yeah, like in closed spaces, elevators, I, I don't like it. He said, um, when was your last... Um, panic attack. I said, I was outside. I was in LA. I was outside in the park. And they're like, well, tell me about it. And I said, well, they had, the, they had the police tape and they were closing the park off because they weren't allowing people for COVID uh, to play in the park in LA. And he said, so let me ask you this. If you wanted to escape COVID now, where could you go? And I was like, oh. He said, like, get on the plane. Get, try and get out of this. Where are you going? And I went, I don't know. And I, it made me realize that that claustrophobic feeling, even though I was outside in the park, represented for me, I can't go anywhere. And I'm stuck with yeah. this. So you're right. I mean, like, you know, I didn't know that that was going to happen and anything could happen. So talking about it um, makes a difference. All right. Two more questions. What is your guilty pleasure? Food, fat food. Fat food, not I like just the food. I know. I like the fat and the steak. I'm, because I know it's bad for you. This is disgusting. I, 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 I munch on the fat and then I spit it back <laughs> just so I can taste it. That is pretty weird. <laughs> fat food. I like fishy places and fat food. I'm a simple girl. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Last question. We're going to change it up a bit. What one question would you like to ask me? Let me talk about it. you think about it? If, if, if you can tell people big mis a big mistake that you learn into your life, if, what would that be? I think it's, I think it's piggybacking on, on the do you thing that you said um, a minute ago. Um, I think we have all these shoulds, right? I should go to law school. I should do this. I should do that. Before you know it, you're shooting all over yourself, you know? And instead of truly asking yourself, what is it that lights you up? What is the thing, doesn't make sense to anybody else, but what is the thing that when you do it, you get that, that thing, that feeling that there's a, there's a calling, there's, there's something that's making you drawn to it. It doesn't make sense. You don't know why, you don't know how, but it's there. And there's a small, still whispering voice that keeps whispering and keeps coming in and you ignore it and it keeps coming in to listen to that voice. Cause I spent a lot of years not listening to it and thinking that I should be doing this or I should be doing that, or this makes sense for me to make money, or this makes sense for me to, to do this, but not from passion because I either talked myself out like, you know, yeah, I could, I could do this, but you know, I'll never be like, like I'll give you an example. I love, um, I love house music. Right. I just, I love it. I don't know why it's hypnotic for me. Like that whole Ibiza kind of vibe. Uh, actually, ironically, I was in Ibiza, uh, staying at this place called the Ushuaia hotel. Do you ever hear of the yeah. Ushuaia? Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. So if anybody listening has no idea what I'm talking about, Google it and you'll understand why we're smiling. It's this <laughs> big giant U shaped thing that is facing the water and the world's biggest DJs from Tiesto to Avicii when he was alive and Swedish House Mafia when they were together would play. And um, it's sort of everything that you think Ibiza would be. But I fell in love with watching what these guys do on stage and being able to take multiple songs, put them on top of each other and make an entirely new sound and move the crowd. 
And I was probably in my mid forties at the time. And I was like, I think I want to be a DJ. And my wife looks at me and she's like, what the fuck are you talking? <laughs> and I said, I, I think, I think I want to be a DJ. She's like, what do you want? I was like, I don't know what I want to do with it, but I just think I really want to learn it. So I went back and I, um, I went to um, the hottest club. I was living in Atlanta and I asked the, the GM, who's a friend, um, if he would connect me with a DJ who could teach me. And so the guy comes over to my house and he's like, so what do you want to do now? And I'm like, I want to be a DJ. He's like, how old are you? I'm, and I think I was 45. And he's like, well, what do you want to do with it? I'm like, I don't know. I just want to learn. So I just want to try. So I bought a shit ton of equipment and every week he came over and uh, he was teaching me how to do it. One thing leads to another. And then before I know it, I actually, he, he said to me, he said, hey, look, you're getting good at this. Would you ever want to play in the club? And I'm like, oh, I, I know. I, like in a nightclub, he's like, yeah. I was like, mm, I, I don't know. Calls me up next week and he says, the DJ uh, canceled. We need a guy. Do you want to do it? And I went, oh shit. So I sat for like nine hours practicing and practicing my set. And I went and it was every bit of the thrill I thought it was going to be. You know, That's I had so cool. I had 20 year olds like fist pumping on ecstasy, like <laughs> all night long, right? That then led into me touring. And uh, then we had a baby and I was coming home at, you know, four o'clock in the morning with my wife, you know, with an infant. And so that stops. But my point in answering your question is that what I've learned is to listen to that voice. It's not something I do anymore. It was a time, you know, in my life, um, it was a few years but I don't regret one second of it. Um, it didn't make me rich at all, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So I'm going to piggyback on your do you. <laughs> well, this was every well, bit- nothing is going to make you rich straight away. It's all about hard work and stuff like that. If you have pursued it even more, you would have, you could have become rich out of it. So it's, it's all hard work and commitment at the end of the day. No, for sure. Well, listen, we're going to link everything up in uh, in the show notes. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? No, just please, again, if you want to pursue some things, just don't listen to anybody. And uh, if your partner is trying to put you down an idea that you want to do, then change your partner. Change your partner. <laughs> Get rid of that guy. <laughs> Valentine, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.